Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Today I'm joined once again with Dr. Christopher Chen, the CEO at ChenMed. How are you today? Jared, it's great to be here. It's always great to have you back on. Every time you come on, I, I learn uh, several things that I did not know before, or and I also see things in a, in a different light, which uh, is definitely a skill that you, uh, you have. <laughs> so I appreciate that. No, really glad to be here. And this is exciting. This is such an exciting time. And, and um, you know, I think we're at a, at a pivot point um, in our country today. So the more that we can get the message out, and the more that people understand what the potential alternatives are, um, uh, the better. Absolutely. And last time you were on, you and I talked a little bit about um, kind of the future of value-based care. And today, the topic at hand is, and some people might like this phrase, some people might not, but what it what it is doing is is good for for everyone. Uh, disrupting healthcare is the core core topic today, um, yeah. and I know other people will always say I don't like. Some people say I don't like the word disrupting, or at the end of the day, they just want to see healthcare change, right? So that's that's really what we're talking about today. Uh, so people keep saying that phrase, disrupting healthcare. Can you tell us what that means to you, and really what what uh, you and the Chenmen team are doing to you know disrupt healthcare? So, you know, at ChenMed, we talk about uh, changing or disrupting healthcare every day. We believe that we are, you know, a leader in disrupting healthcare. And anytime you're trying to change or disrupt something, uh, it's very, very scary, especially for those who are in power, right? So people who are in power, who, have, who, who, who are generating all the profits, who have all the wealth, uh, it's most scary to them. Right? They already have everything. So the current healthcare system today is about $3.8 trillion. The problem with healthcare today is it only works for a few people. In general, it doesn't work for, the, uh, for, for a lot of people. And so at this point, you know, when you're talking about an industry that's that size, $3.8 trillion, it's really going to be up to those who are most, the most courageous to actually disrupt the system that leaves so many Americans out in the cold. And, and, and then you need to find those people who believe it's a moral imperative to make a difference. You know, Chen Med, if you just go back into our history, we actually turned away from the existing free-for-service model or fee-for-service model. Clearly not free-for-service, it's the exact opposite. It's a fee-for-service model um, because it actually promotes a culture of sick care where, you know, the, the currency of billing and success is based on how sick a population is. The sicker the population, the, 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 you know, the more revenue and the more potential for, um, for, for profits. And, and that's a really perverse incentive. You know, I have a, a, an ex-executive uh, that used to work for me and, and uh, he actually left uh, a, a children's hospital because their CEO at one point took everybody to the top floor to celebrate. And I said, well, why? He asked, why are we celebrating here? He goes, we nailed it. Our entire ICU full is full and our burn unit is full. And that's for a, that's for a children's hospital. So he saw that there was just such an overwhelmingly perverse incentive for the existing folks who are in power today. So as a disruptor, we embraced the full risk capitated model. So instead of, you know, the currency of billing and transactions and volume and celebrating when people get sick, um, we try to figure out how to deliver better outcomes and get paid for those better outcomes through a currency of you know, influence and coaching of our patients. And so um, our goal 
is of course to reduce ER visits, to reduce hospitalization rates, to reduce you know, catastrophic events, the very thing that our systems today financially celebrate. Appreciate that uh, ChenMed perspective and also you, you know, your, your, this, what, what you guys are doing as well as what it means to you, right? The whole phrase disrupting healthcare. Now, that being said, I, so I recently put up a, a poll and I said, you know, it's 10 years from now, you wake up not feeling well. And I put some of the big tech companies in there and then everyone else, right? Because I feel like there's a few big names in tech that are trying to go disrupt healthcare. Uh, the, the Apples, the, the Amazons, the Walmarts to even, you know, I, I wouldn't even put Walmart so much in the tech side of things, more in the, the clinics. But, uh, you know, in 10 years, where would you be going for your care? Are you going to be going to one of those big tech companies? Are you going to be going to someone else? And right now, um, it's still early in the poll, but most people are clicking somewhere else. They're not picking the big tech companies. So that being said, I want to ask you, you know, we have a ton of problems in healthcare still today. Why is it so hard for healthcare to be disrupted? You know, disrupting healthcare is the ultimate David versus Goliath story, right? We talked about before that healthcare is about $3.8 trillion. If you actually, you know, compare that to, you know, the GDP of other countries, you'll find that there, are, there is a very small handful in, that could fit in your hand, just one hand, <laughs> uh, number of countries that are actually, you know, the size of US healthcare. In fact, the US healthcare system is twice the size of Russia's economy. So if you think, you know, taking on one Russia is hard, imagine taking on two Russias, right? And, uh, you know, and the reason is it's because it's consolidated and it's an institutional power that, st that stacks up against anybody who tries to disrupt the status quo. So here's what's really happening in, in every single sort of community in America today. If you look at who are the largest employers, either number one or number two, it's usually the large integrated delivery systems. And every single city in America today, it's the same group of people who have the largest voting power, right? And they're continuing to consolidate. And what do you do when they continue to consolidate? They decrease free market forces and they decrease free market forces and then they raise prices. And this is a trend that has been happening across America. And as they continue to raise prices, they find that their pair mix is better in, in wealthy neighborhoods. And so they continue to open facilities and care facilities in places where in, in wealthier areas where, where there's a better pair mix. And they continue to reduce their efforts and their, and their you, know, uh, you know, closing care facilities in some of the most underserved communities that are already underserved and already have substantially worse outcomes than wealthier communities. So th this, this situation that I've just described is happening across every single, you know, or almost every single community in America today. And it is a problem. The issue is, is that disruptors really have to be fearless. And, you know, you have to be willing to take on the largest employer, the largest voting entity, the, the, the you know, the greatest or the biggest company who's actually, you know, winning when people lose. Now, this is an important thing I want to bring up. Usually people say, Chris, why are you giving such a hard time to hospitals? We need hospitals. Hospitals saved my life when I had COVID. You need hospitals. The people that work in these hospitals, even the leadership, they're, they're amazing. Some of the most amazing people. The problem is the system. You can't take a group of amazing people and have them win when people do worse. You can't take a bunch of amazing people and say, go ahead and form a monopoly. 
or you're not accountable for delivering outcomes. You're just accountable for enjoying the fruits of people being sick and celebrating financially when people get sick. You can't tell a group, you know, a, a group of people to say, hey, you know what? Don't just raise prices. When you have all the power and there aren't free market forces, don't just raise prices. They, they won't do it. It's just, it's, it's too much of an incentive. So what we have to do is we've got to create a different way to disrupt because David will not beat Goliath by fighting Goliath the way Goliath wants to be fought. David has to come up with a new way of fighting. And we all know how that turned out, right? They used projectiles <laughs> in those days. So, so that being said, how has a company, like, so in this case, ChenMed, right? How have you managed to become a, a large disruptor in, in over a dozen states in light of those barriers to disruption that you just relayed? It's very simple. ChemMed operates where others fear to go. Um, we have a unique goal. We wanna create social justice through healthcare. And so we gravitate to tougher, long ignored neighborhoods and treat populations that others pretend don't exist. Um, it, it's really remarkable. You have these large, you know, nonprofit organizations who are created and they're all trying to figure out how do we open more facilities in rich neighborhoods? And you're like, wait a second, you exist to try to bring healthcare to places that don't have them. So can you, can we talk about that plan? Um, and you'll find that the plans actually, you know, grow in, in wealthier neighborhoods is far greater than the plan it is to grow in some of the most underserved neighborhoods where the problems begin. The way that ChenMed did it is we leveraged Medicare Advantage. In the past, it wasn't very popular. It's now growing in tremendous popularity and, and growing very quickly. But when we went into it, it wasn't very popular. And what Medicare Advantage allows us to do, it gives us the freedom to address you know, problems up front. And many of those problems are social determinants of health. We've discovered that actually the minority of the problem is actually access to good clinical care, although it is a major problem. The majority of the problem that actually drives negative health is actually built into lifestyles and behaviors and all of these other financial barriers of care that many would call socio-determinants of health. And so being in a global full-risk capitated environment with full upside and full downside, that means the entire healthcare dollar through a Medicare Advantage gives us the freedom to actually attack those socio-determinants of health, to attack those lifestyles and behaviors upfront to get a better result later on. And so our proven scalable model um, it works in all of these neighborhoods. So we're continue to go straight into these neighborhoods. Um, you know, today uh, we are in about 24 cities across America today. Um, we're hoping to go into another 24 cities in the next 20, uh, 18, uh, 12 to 18 months or so. Um, and the neighborhoods that we're targeting are those exact neighborhoods that you are seeing large systems pull out of. Yeah, it's... Uh... One of the things from the first moment you and I talked, it's, it's always been so interesting seeing because you're, you're in a rare position that you're actually trying to, uh, you're creating a sustainable business, but a business that's helping people, which I think is, is so cool that you're able to do both, right? And why can't more companies in healthcare do both? And I, they can, but I don't think still everyone hasn't adopted that, that value-based care uh, model mindset, right, for, for care. Um, although... As uh, I think we talked about a while back, it seems like it's starting to be talked about much more today than it ever was. Because I believe you said even in medical school, um, value-based care wasn't something that was even talked about much at all, right, for you? Yeah, you know, think about 
medical schools, who pays the salaries of most medical school uh, professors and people who are training doctors? Large hospital systems. Well, large hospital systems aren't designed to figure out how to prevent catastrophic events. They make money from treating catastrophic events, right? And so, you know, that I'll give you an example, heart failure. And, and by the way, hospitals are, you need hospitals. They, they save lives, right? And so, uh, and so heart failure, when your heart is failing, you need somebody to save your life, okay? You can't breathe, all the, all the pressure is, you know, pushing back, by the way, I'm speaking this to, the, to you as a cardiologist, right? So I have about, you know, the, the equivalent of about five board certifica certifications in cardiac and vascular diseases. And so when, it, when you have heart failure, which is the number one or number two cause of admission in America today, right? It's a major, major public health issue. It's because your heart is failing and, and that and the blood that's supposed to be pumping forward is going backwards into your lungs and all that pressure in your lungs puts fluid in your lungs and you can't breathe. Sounds like a really bad problem to have. And, and that is the number one or number two cause of admission in America today. When I left training with all those board certifications and trained at some of the best organizations in the world with the best professors, I did not know how to prevent heart failure admissions. And, and at ChemMed today, we have evidence that supports that we believe that almost 90% of heart failure admissions are preventable. And preventable not with fancy, you know, $40,000 equipment or $20,000 tests and procedures. No, preventable with just good old fashioned primary care. You can prevent anywhere from 80 to 90% of heart failure. And doctors today are not being trained in how to do that. There's no incentive. Why, if you're getting your compensation from <coughs> treating heart failure, that you would ever want to prevent heart failure emissions? I, the only answer would be just pure altruism. And pure altruism, um, sure, there are folks out there that will do it for pure altruism. But it's not just that. You actually gain, you financially win when you are, you, you are opposed to your pure altruism. So do we still need people to save people's lives when they have heart failure? Absolutely. But could we reduce the number of people who are coming to the hospital with heart failure? Yes, we believe by about 90%. And we need to join that journey. People need to join that journey of substantially changing the way that we manage health from rescuing people when they're about to die as our primary way of, of, of driving health to moving way upstream and solving the most important challenges that actually improve health. The last thing I'm gonna ask you, Dr. Chen, before we wrap things up, and you already mentioned a, a few of these points already, but there was a, a formal question I wanted to ask you. Um, so, you already mentioned some of what happened and some of it involves obviously the government uh, and also just health systems kind of adapting as well. But what, what could be done to speed up disruption more substantially? Um, it, obviously you're doing your part with ChenMed, but there's obviously other players that are even in different spaces than you that are trying to help as well. What are your kind of last little tidbits on what can be done. And we'll, we'll leave that as like a teaser for any future episodes or any other discussions, but. Yeah, so first of all, the number of disruptors and the effectiveness of those disruptors 
will determine the speed of disruption. Very simple. And I believe it's going to be smaller practices who, who we can unleash to become those uh, disruptors. You're saying, Chris, you're saying you need more competition. The answer is yes. We need 100 more Chen Meds. We need more people that are willing to go into um, disrupting the existing system. And here's the reason why. You cannot ask the incumbents to disrupt themselves. Taxi companies would not have created Uber. Left alone, you know, uh, companies out there uh, that are that are making cars, they wouldn't have created and 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 driven this massive push towards you know electrification of cars. It wouldn't have. And so, first of all, you 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 need to find that disruptor outside. The people who are in power, they will not disrupt themselves. They have it already. They have all the money, they have all the voting power, they have all the size, they have, they've gotten rid of free market forces. So guess what? Why would you change that? So what's the role in government? The role in government is really two things. Number one, think about why we have electric cars today. Why is it that you're talking to all these car companies and they're saying our future is in electric cars? You know how, you know who created that? People go, Elon Musk created that. It wasn't Elon Musk. Elon Musk executed on what the government enabled. It was those incentives that created, you know, created Tesla and it pushed Tesla to create what they created today. Now everybody said, oh my gosh, that's the future. Now everybody's jumping on board. Is the government's job to sort of push that industry, to push value-based care. And so sometimes it does take some investment, but in the end, you're going to end up in a much better place, right? And now the electric cars, right? They're faster, they're smoother, um, and, and almost they're, they're, they're safer. So you're going to get to a better place. The second thing that the government has to do is the government has to protect innovation and disruption. Has to. And, and, and the challenge why this is going to be harder than the car industry or the transportation industry is because the industry is much bigger. The government has to take on three, a fifth of its economy. That's the problem. And so every time there's a change that happens, you know, it's amazing. We, when we talk to government folks, it's the same thing. We, you know, they go, it's very, the, the amount of lobbying power is very scary. Why? Because the voting power exists in these large incumbents, right? The largest employer in every single city are large systems. And those large systems have gotten rid of free market forces. They're big. They, and they make money when people do worse. Okay, so it's very hard to take on hospitals, especially when you need them to save your life, especially during a pandemic. There's a lot of leverage. So those who are in government, boy, oh boy, they need a lot of courage because they're going to be taking on something that is that actually is inherently good to trying to save people, but is very big and does not want to change. So they've got to figure out how to do that. Now you ask, you talk about tech companies, a lot of them have failed. It doesn't mean they should give up. Okay, I, I agree with you. Ten years from now, we won't be going to care at, at tech companies, but they're going to be playing a much larger role. And if they keep at it, they're going to continue to enable those disruptors. And I think that is the key. Tech has the ability to enable disruptors. And so, um, uh, do I think the Googles of the world, um, the Amazon of the world, um, are they going to are they going to make a difference? I, I do think so. Well. As always, uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I'll listen to your thoughts on just about anything. Uh, it's, it's always great. You always explain it so well. And uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to future episodes. And thank you uh, again for your time today. Thanks for having me, Jared. 
Thank you to everyone that listened to this week's episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, we're available on all the major podcast channels. And you can check us out on our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com. And that'll have all of our past guests on there. Uh, You can see our sponsors and you can learn more about actually becoming a guest. Thanks and look forward to another episode next week.